electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the Nasdaq market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. Drugs on demand. Eli Lilly to bypass the pharma middleman and go direct to consumers with its new obesity drug, Zepbound. Is this all about simplifying access to this blockbuster category or a real industry game changer? We'll debate that. Plus, Burger Blues. McDonald's issuing a warning about the impact the war in Israel and the unrest in the Middle East is having on its business. Will others soon be raising similar red flags? And later, one top tech watcher has an interesting buyer for Peloton in the new year. We'll go inside the mobile eye, black eye. And thanks to AI, Microsoft is set to kick off a major PC refresh. We'll explain. I'm Melissa Lee coming to you live from Studio B at the NASDAQ on the desk tonight. Carter Braxtonworth, Otto and Eisen, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. We start off with Eli Lilly hitting a new all-time high during the session before closing the day with a slight loss. Shares jumping as much as 3% at their highs. The stock is up nearly 70% in the last year. Today's action coming after Lilly announced the launch of Lilly Direct, a direct-to-consumer website that allows patients to order its weight loss drug ZepBound right from the company. It is a strategy that could deal a blow to traditional pharmacy companies like CVS and Walgreens. Shares of Novo Nordisk, which manufactures... Uh, uh, rival Wagovi held on to its gains, jumping almost 4%, closing at a record. So did Eli Lilly just change the game for the healthcare industry? How will the stocks respond? Guy, what do I don't you- know if they changed the game. I mean, clearly they're on to something. I think other companies will act in kind. And you saw it in terms of WBA, Walgreens Boots Alliance, which had its own issues, but clearly that was under pressure. So I get it all. In terms of the price action we just mentioned, That's the story today. Traded big volume, closed lower on the day after making a new all-time high. And I want to be crystal clear, Eli Lilly collectively we've loved for years, but you've had opportunities to buy this stock on dips a number of times. And today might be one of those days that sets up for that type of opportunity. And when I say opportunity, I'm not talking about $600. I'm talking about it get back down to $535 to $550. Great company, but think about it now. Now it's just north of 50 times next year's numbers, which is two and a half, three turns more than its rivals. Deserved, maybe, but expensive, yes. I mean, I think the question in terms of whether or not the stock should gain on the back of this news is whether or not going direct to consumers is actually going to increase revenue. Or are they still going to be supply constrained, which seems like that's probably going to still be the case. So will they actually sell more ZEP-bound because of direct-to-consumer, or will it be the same, ultimately? Well, you have to assume they did it for a reason, and presumptively it's to sell more, but to be determined. Right. Um, a guy makes a point about the reversal. Day. It did close uh, red, uh, and the stock is basically now where it was in September. So the question is, after the great run-up and then this consolidation, is this the pause mm-hmm. before the next up leg? I would think higher. Yeah. There's a lot of um, sort of consensus going around in the new year, right? And so I think the the collective sort of reaction on the desk would be to go against consensus. Consensus. The consensus here is that there are so many catalysts in the pipeline mm-hmm. here for a lot of these drugs in terms of trial data that will come out that will prove these drugs effective, in theory, against a host of, of other illnesses. Yeah. So going against consensus would be to say 
too much is baked in. Well, it's funny. So if you were to track the performance of Novo and Lilly versus, let's say, some of the biggest beneficiaries of the AI boom in 2023, they look very similar. They kind of bottomed out in Q1 of last year, and then they literally doubled over the next, you know, call it nine months or so. And the consensus thinking that you're saying is that these are both confirmed megatrends by some of the smartest people that we know who cover these industries, but also think about markets and how value gets accrued to risk assets, right? So heading into this year, I think that the jury is still out as far as when the commercialization of a lot of the AI stuff is, but the jury is not out on these drugs and what they are doing right now. And then you add on all of these catalysts that should help, I think, sentiment going, going forward in the future. So when I think about today's reversal, I say to myself, to answer your question, no doubt about it, of course they think this is going to increase sales. Right now, sales are expected to go from $34 billion for Lilly last year to $39 billion this year, but they're nearly expected to double their earnings. So think about that, from $6.5 to maybe like $13 or so. So they must think that this is good for them from a margin perspective to control the direct pipeline to their customers. There's data that's involved in that. There's a whole host of other things. So, yeah, it sounds great. But what the market is expecting for the stock from here on out probably gets a bit harder as the consensus is definitely in that this is uh, literally they have they're in the driver's seat, as you would expect, uh, you know, them and Novo for these products. But there's going to be other companies this year that emerge to all these other trials. They're going to have good use cases for these drugs to expand on the success of Novo. The sell side is not that sanguine. The if you look at the 30 analysts that cover Lilly, their price target 12 months hence on average is going for 3% gain. Like 634, the stock's at 614, 650. That's not very bullish. No, not at all. It's not bullish, but it's not bearish. And really, it's a matter of has the stock essentially gotten out in front of itself. And we've seen softness pretty much across the board coming into uh, the beginning of Q1. So I, I, it's not surprising that perhaps there's a little bit of profit taking into the positive news. Dan mentioned the margins. I think that is an important aspect. But the, the part that, that he, he hinted on, and I want to kind of take a little bit further, is the data aspect. I, I think that's really the, the, the catalyst behind why they're making this DTC move here. We've seen it in some of the consumer brands. And I think this is an opportunity for them to capitalize on what it seems to be a groundbreaking drug here and really get a lot more granular data on the profile of the of the customer base. I mean, in theory, you could potentially have, a, you know, a whole database of long term results mm-hmm. from various customers that you can easily sort and go through and and just figure out how exactly it's helped them when they stop, when they started, et cetera, and really get that granular level of information on the effectiveness of these drugs longer term. Which is another iteration, transformative without question. But I'll go back to look at, the, if we can pull up like a two-year chart of Eli Lilly, you will see, although it looks like a straight line, lower left, upper right, there have been at least five different times where we've seen significant pullbacks. The only reason I mentioned it today is because of the reversal, because of the volume, and now the valuation. Vertex, by the way, a name we've talked about from time to time, that made an all-time high today. That trades at half the valuation of Eli Lilly. Now, I'm not saying it should trade anywhere close, but my point is there are pharma stocks out there, big cap names, even in the biotech space, that have similar stories with better valuations. All right. For more on the impact of Lilly's direct-to-consumer push, let's bring in Jared Hulls, healthcare sector strategist at Mizuho. Jared, happy New Year to you. Good you to too. See you. Thank you. I mean, what's today? Today is uh, the fourth. So, 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 Jared, it's the first time on this year. Is that right? Right. This is the so, first what if we have, Jared, for example, what if we have a guest on the first time in like April? Uh huh. I'll say Happy New Year. That's Just a problem. You will now. <laughs> anyway, sorry, Jared. Anyway, <laughs> Happy New Year. Um, <laughs> how, how do you assess this news for Lily? What do you think the the bigger the bigger chess strategy is here? 
Well, yeah, I agree with the data aspect. I think that's huge. I mean, just removing the middleman, the concept of just taking the pharmacy channel and the supply channel out of the equation and also controlling the narrative of the drug launch itself. I think so much has been made about how is this launch going to go? It's obviously under a microscope because of the sheer number of patients it can get to. They obviously want the safety element to be first and foremost and, and drive adoption. So I feel like if they can control the drug launch itself into the hands of patients that it should be going to, that helps them a long way. I mean, there have been so many reports coming out of Europe and other jurisdictions about all of these side effects. I think the best thing that they can do with the target on their back with this launch, which is definitely going to be the biggest in history, the combined companies rather in this setting, they need to do a good job of managing it. I think this helps them do it. And the FDA is also examining a lot of the side effects associated with all of these GLP-1 uh, drugs. So, I mean, I guess that's an issue, but you still need a doctor to write a prescription. So in terms of getting the, the prescriptions into the right hands, they made a big deal of that in the press release about, uh, you know, it being used for obesity as opposed to cosmetic weight loss. Can they really control that if they're fulfilling prescriptions that are written by somebody else? Well, these, I think that the doctors are going to be part of this equation, right? This is a telemedicine app, so to speak, that they're going to kind of license and control along the way. So I feel like that's definitely part of it. Um, the cosmetic piece, you know, we've talked about it many times. I, I think the, the bolus of patients that have gotten on the drug to start don't need it as much as the medically obese or the definitively obese community that doesn't have access, that could also open the door here. Because a lot of that population, middle America, other geographies that don't have access to really good care can now go online and get the drugs. That might open the floodgates even more for the patient population that actually needs it, as opposed to like the Hollywood population that wants it to lose 15, 20 pounds. You know, um, you mentioned the, the, the pharmacy channel, okay, and, and how this might be. And we saw it in the stock market today, if you, you looked at some of the names there. Um, might it be different for the telehealth? So, so this launch might really kind of ease some of the problems that some of these health, telehealth providers have, because they are obviously at the whims of a lot of these, especially pharmacy companies, which if anyone has used any of these for any sort of drug, it, it's not a particularly efficient sort of thing. So I wonder if it actually, this is a benefit to some of these tele, uh, telemedicine companies who want to prescribe these drugs for a whole host of reasons. It's possible. I mean, the, the number of patients is so gigantic that if you can't get access for some reason to Lily Direct, you could say, hey, I'm going to try out these other sites. You could do Weight Watchers. You could do Teladoc. There, there are going to be so many of these services. Roe is another one that keeps on coming up in conversation. There are so many of them. It could drive broader adoption with the biggest player kind of spearheading it. But I think a lot of it is going to be, you know, patients that have tried Lily first having gotten what they've wanted, and then seeked another opinion. So they, there has been prescription data for ZepBound already, even though it's just available in the beginning of December. But through the week ending December 22nd, according to J.P. Morgan, more than 22,000 prescriptions have been written for it. Do you think that Lily Direct will increase the number? Will it incre actually increase the number of uh, you know, prescriptions or drugs that they sell in the end? It should. I, I think it, you know, the, the purpose of the company's strategy here is to give the drug to as many people as it can within the boundaries of the label. And so the supply constraint situation, I feel, is the biggest impediment still. Long term, I think definitely over the next couple of months, I think we're way too early to be jumping to conclusions that the scripts are going to inflect in an even bigger way because of Lily Direct. But in time, I think that would have to be the tactic they're using. 
Last time you were on, we talked about markets up 17%-ish since you came on and talked about the the undervaluedness of the name and how you thought that could play catch-up. It clearly has. It's with a whisper of an all-time high at a valuation that makes sense. I know they spoke today at a Goldman Sachs conference. I don't know you can speak about it, but Merck, to me, still makes sense for a myriad of different reasons here. Agree. Um, 117 from 100, not bad. I think it still has room to go. The comments today on M&A were, were essentially, they're looking at anything from zero to 15 billion which is 95% of the XBI or IBB, whatever index you look at. I think they're still on the hunt. They've only spent about $23 billion over the past couple of years. Pfizer has spent way more than that. There have been other companies that have spent way more than that in the S&P. So there's room for more deals, and I think there's more room for the stock to inflect. I think the one important thing is, Obviously, Keytruda is still mm -hmm. there. I think a lot of those estimates for Keytruda are understated. And so if you move through the years, you're going to be you're going to be presented with a bigger base business and a bigger earnings base when it starts to erode. And I think that's really important, too. Um, so a lot of analysts going, you know, looking out to 2024 say that the best times are ahead for healthcare, that it's going to be a return to the glory days of biotech, et cetera. It's like it's just so beaten down that it's got to be the time for this group to finally rise. Right. Do you agree? Sort of. I think a lot of that commentary is based on um, the discrepancy between the healthcare index and the S&P last year, right? Negative 25 percent, um, you know, versus the index is a is a big number. I think if it weren't for that, I don't think it would be this unanimously recommended as a sector to buy into. We still have a lot to work through. On the other hand, I think a lot of the risk factors that have hurt this sector are pretty much going to either dissipate or they're going to remain the same, right? In election year, the GLP risk, so on, drug pricing, so on and so forth. These are not new topics. So maybe that will help it. I don't think we're going to be presented with a whole other assortment of risk factors. I think the narrative, uh, the negative narrative is the same, which, I, which is pretty good. But I'm not emphatically pushing the space just because it underperformed last year. Valuations, to me, when I look across medical devices, life science tools, a lot of biotech are still not nearly cheap enough. All right, Jared, good to see you. Thank you. Great Jared to see Holtz you. Of Mizuho. Happy New Year again. Um, Carter? I mean, it's, it's, it's going to have all, all, all show. Day. All day for weeks and weeks and weeks on end. So what about a little impromptu, would you rather? Ah! Oh, oh, would you rather? Yeah. Okay. Mm. okay, well, what, what's happened now is that Lilly is now the same winning as United Health for the first time, right, because of its appreciation. Would you rather mm. bet on Lilly for the next 12 to 18 months or arguably the most persistent, reliable healthcare earner of all time? Which, in that chart, UNH, you've called I think a godlike chart I think you're about in the to past. Break out in a big Let's way. be clear. So I'm going with UNH. <laughs> you're, okay. UNH. Self, would you rather? Self, yeah. would you rather? It's an interesting no, no, pairing. It's a it's an for you, too. Pairing. Would you rather? <laughs> I already gave you my. I do think, I think Eli Lilly will pull back. I think you'll have an opportunity to buy it cheaper. UNH has had pullbacks as well. But I can rationalize UNH on valuation without question. And it is sort of lower left, lower right. So since we're playing the unscripted version of Would You Rather, I'll go with UNH as well, CBW. By the way, it's always unscripted. It's never. Oh, no, that's not true. No, that's not true. It always is. No, but it's a self Would You Rather as opposed to it coming from me. Aha. Uh -huh. I'm it's never guilty. Just written. so we're clear. I'm never the one that's guilty of this. I'm it's just everybody else. It's everybody else, as yeah. always is. I get blamed.
Anyway, markets, uh, let's talk them, markets. Uh, taking a leg lower in the last hour of trading with all major averages closing near the lows of the day. The Nasdaq now on a five-day losing streak, its longest since October 2022. The S&P 500 down four sessions in a row, and the Dow virtually flat after being up more than 200 points early in the day. The moves coming ahead of tomorrow's December jobs report, the latest Dow Jones estimate looking for payrolls to rise by 170,000. The unemployment rate is expected to tick up by one-tenth of a percent to 3.8 percent. So what kind of impact could the jobs report have on tomorrow's trading? Bono, and how do you think about jobs? Uh, I think it'll be volatile. I mean, we, we've already seen the, the jobs opening number. That surprised you the upside, and you saw what that did to rates. Then we saw the ADP numbers, which I think beat by about 25, 26 percent. So there's quite a bit of volatility here between the expectations and what we're realizing. And being that we've priced in so much pull forward of rate cuts and soft landing and perfect Goldilocks scenarios, any deviation from that norm uh, I, I expect to, to bear um, to bear on stock prices. Wages. I, I look at wages and hourly wages. I think 0.3 percent is expected, but year over year might be interesting. So you can get a scenario where maybe good news in terms of the un- good news. No, not oh. necessarily. I think if these wages tick up, which is obviously good news for everybody, I don't think the market's going to particularly like that, given the fact that we priced in five or six rate cuts this year. And we just had the minutes, which were we, more hawkish. 100%. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's the narrative, and that was the narrative since the Fed presser in big December. But for some reason, I think the stock market had a different idea about lo- the pace of the economy, the, the how soft the landing we were going to have. And, you know, we have a 10-year U.S. Treasury yield that's at 4% right now. And you tell me, if we were to head back to four and a quarter over the next few weeks on a cooler than expected right um, data, and it's not, if it's not just in jobs, well, where's the stock market? I mean, the S and P is easily at 4,400 or probably lower. And and you know, Carter could probably tell us maybe that's a perfectly healthy thing after the rally that we had last year in the markets, and or specifically in last terms, quarter. Yeah, in terms of sequencing, I mean, the straight down move in rates from five to three eight, the straight down move in oil ninety five to sixty five, the straight down move in the dollar. Regardless of whether you're moving in a straight line up or down, you're always characterized by counter trends. So we're getting a counter trend of sorts. Dollars moving up a bit, rates are moving up, oil has already moved up, and the concomitant move would be a, a give back in the equity market, and that's underway. But the issue is, is it just a little bit, or messages from Apple and things like that, is it more than that? I think it's going to be more than that. Do you need a dictionary? I was going to say, I would agree with Carter if I knew what concomitant meant. I'm going to go to my Google machine. I mean, he's unbelievable. Yeah, you can look it up during the break. Thank you. Coming up, the geopolitical impact on fast food. The warning out of McDonald's that hit shares today and the impact overseas conflict could have on the company's business. That is next. Plus, a mobile eye meltdown shares tanking after the chipmaker issued a stark warning on orders and inventory. But is this a standalone problem or could there be a ripple effect throughout the semi-space? We'll discuss that when Fast Money returns. This is Fast Money with Melissa Lee right here on CNBC. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. 
Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of McDonald's taking a tumble midday today. CEO Chris Kamczynski saying that the unrest in the Middle East is impacting its business. CBC's Kate Rogers is here with the very latest. Hey, Kate. Hey there, Melissa. McDonald's CEO Chris Kamczynski sharing an update for the new year on his LinkedIn page, including some comments on the Middle East, writing in part, quote, I also recognize that several markets in the Middle East and some outside of the region are experiencing a meaningful business impact due to the war and associated misinformation that is affecting brands like McDonald's. This is disheartening and ill-founded. In every country where we operate, including in Muslim countries, McDonald's is proudly represented by local owner-operators who work tirelessly to serve and support their communities while employing thousands of their fellow citizens. That local community connection is the genius of the McDonald's system. Now, the stock had moved lower around noon by 1%, rebounded quickly, and then ended the day off just under 1%. McDonald's, though, isn't the only major brand that has made comments on the war. Starbucks CEO Loxman Narasimhan also addressed misinformation around that brand's stance in a letter to workers sent out last month. Much more to come on the business impact for these brands during earnings season in just a few short weeks. Melissa, back over to you. All right, Kate, thanks. Kate Rogers. Um, Carter, you actually, from a charts perspective, it looks like you like it. Well, um, I think it's got a little bit of work to do, which is to say it sold off with the market from the summer high, but its sell-off versus an 11% was down 17. And then it's recovered with the market back to its former high. And in principle, as a rule of thumb, uh, not infallible, but a good one. Before you can exceed a high, you contend with it, right? So you're back to the level where backing and filling is likely. What do you make of this? At 23 times next year's numbers, it's not crazy given its history, okay? So valuation is okay in McDonald's. It's had a huge run since October, to Carter's point. I get concerned that it's peaked at these levels we saw in May of last year and seemingly have stalled. Now, again, a name that has gone lower left, upper right, but sell-offs along the way. So I think in the earnings, I believe on February 5th, McDonald's is a name I think you have an opportunity to buy cheaper. When I say cheaper, I mean like 10, 8 to 10 percent cheaper from where we currently are trading. Wow. Uh, there's also an ICR retail conference next week where a lot of these fast food companies are going to be presenting. So they'll probably offer some color uh, before the quarter about what they're seeing with the consumer specifically. And that, of course, is a big issue in food inflation. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, talking about Carter's 17% sell-off from those July highs. I mean, we were sitting here on this desk most days watching this stock careen lower week after week and trying to, like, like figure out, like, what's going on here? The stock made a new 52-week low. And I just think it's really important to remember, like, all the euphoria that you could have thrown a dart, okay, at your screen, uh, hundreds of stocks, and they were going to go up, you know, 10 20%, you know, like, in that period over the last few months. So, like, it's just important to remember that, you know, things that, that, that go up can also come down, too. And I look at this and guide just mentioned, you know, trading at 23 times, mid-single digits earnings in, in sales growth expected for this year, big downshift from last year. And some of these things just may not make a whole heck of a lot of sense, given some of the tailwinds. If this CEO is going on LinkedIn, okay, to talk about this sort of stuff, this is not a one-off sort of thing. This is going to be a theme throughout some of these consumer companies for a while, especially multinationals that have more than 60% of their sales outside the U.S. I'm curious. What do you mean by because he's going on LinkedIn? What does well, that signify as opposed to going on X or, you know, using some other platform? Yeah, I'm sure they had to put a filing out or whatever. But I mean, listen, we, we're, we're, we're going to talk about a company that, that um, you know, pre-announced today. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. Is, is this a soft pre-announcement? I mean, yeah. essentially. 
Uh, I'm actually with Guy. I, I would look for, for an opportunity to buy this on weakness. If you look at foot traffic versus McDonald's versus some of the peers, they've actually had positive foot traffic and the ability to raise prices. And we're starting to see a lot of food inflation come off. So I, I would look for an opportunity where even if you think that the overall space may be challenged, I do think this is probably one of the bellwethers within that subsector. All right. There is a lot more Fast Monday to come. Here's what's coming up next. Mobileye getting poked, the supply glut warning that sent shares plummeting, and if the issue could reverberate through the chip space. Plus, putting the pedal to the metal with a bold prediction for 2024. Why our next guest believes Apple might cause shakeup in the cycling space. Plus, the other big predictions for the year ahead. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Mobileye plunging 25% today. It's worst day since being spun off from Intel about 14 months ago. The company said a dramatic drop-off in consumer orders uh, in the first uh, quarter ex- ex- resulted in excess of inventory, actually customer orders. Christina Parks Neville joins us now with details. Christina. Well, that dramatic drop-off means that Mobileye expects a 50% drop in revenue for the first quarter of this year. As you mentioned, because of excessive inventory, auto suppliers were so spooked by the supply shortage during COVID that they've been hoarding chips for fear of a repeat. And now they're realizing they have high inventory levels and need to be uh, burn through them. Interestingly, though, Mobileye is choosing to take the brunt of the impact in Q1, with the company forecasting flat to low mid-single-digit growth throughout the rest of the year. That's why the stock, like you mentioned, plunged 25%. The company has actually been suffering from losses just over the last five business days. Today's massive guide down, though, hitting other auto-exposed names like NXPI, on semi, analog devices, Bank of America downgrading Mobileye on a rare midday move because of that weak outlook. They say, though, the problem is isolated to Mobileye and its autonomous driving system chips and shouldn't impact other names. An honorable mention for Intel, its shares barely negative, uh, today about three-tenths lower. It bought Mobileye back in 2017 and still remains a majority shareholder, owning roughly 88% of shares. All right, Christina, thank you. Christina parts Nevelis. Uh, Christina mentioned ADI. That also got a downgrade today on pretty much the same reasoning, exposure to auto and industrial. Microchip also getting a downgrade from Piper today. So all of these stocks in this complex exposed to the same end, end market getting hit. Okay, mobilized specific, right? Excess customer. Christina just said mm-hmm. it. Customers bought in anticipation of supply <laughs> constraints. Now you have a six, seven million uh, unit glut. Do you think that's specific to what Mobileye makes? No, exactly. And Dan's talked about this. A lot of us have brought that up. The potential for double and triple ordering in so much of this space is out there. You're seeing it with Mobileye. And look at, look at the stock reaction. 50% revenue decline versus, I think, 21% the street was looking for. That is catastrophic. Now, maybe you could say it's in this name is now uh, taking that in consideration with today's drop. But my point is you see it here. You can see it elsewhere as well. 
You know, it brings me to the last time I was in an autonomous robo-taxi. <laughs> oh, never. I was never in one. <laughs> I might not ever be in one in the next five to ten years or so. So, again, all the headlines that we hear out of Waymo or Cruise, okay, is that they're halting production. They're slowing the production right. of these things because they're not working particularly well. And then and that Tesla takes us. has not mentioned it at all. Right. Recently. And two years ago, it's interesting. The information had a great article out. A guy named Steve Devine writes this electric. Um, it's all about electric vehicles and autonomy. And he was talking about a miscalculation by Tesla that two years ago on their January call, they basically said we're going all in on autonomous robotaxis. They're still not here. I think Elon has, you know, he wants this to be a thing. It's just not a thing. Thing right now, and I think that speaks to the glut that you're seeing in some of these providers. Does this make NVIDIA look that much better, or is there a concern also that perhaps uh, users are over-ordering some of these AI chips? And, you know, this is sort of like a foreshadowing. I, I think it'd be naive to assume that there's no over- or double-ordering. I, I think you definitely take that into consideration. But I do think that if you look at Apple's downgrade, for instance, the other day, they spoke about analog devices versus GPU devices. And what what you're saying is that you're starting to see a bit of a more of a bifurcation in that market. So I do think relatively I feel safer here, but I do wouldn't be surprised to see a pullback in the semi space all uh, overall. Um, Just one thing in terms of technique. It's always a question. Do you take advantage of shocking weakness like this and buy in or not? In principle, it's never right to buy a drop in gap. Let the dust settle. All right. Coming up, peddling for a partner. One top tech analyst thinks Apple could work out an offer to buy Peloton. This next block is like leg day. You don't want to skip it. <laughs> and the energy slump, the sector dropping in the last few months, but showing promising signs of a rebound this week. Could this be the start of a turnaround? We'll get some answers from our own Brian Sullivan. Mm. Come right back. Welcome back to Fast Money. The major indice is closing around session lows. The Nasdaq dropping five days in a row, its longest losing streak since October 2022. The S&P 500 also falling and the Dow ending the day around the flat line. Taking a look at Microsoft, the company announcing a co-pilot key to co- is coming to keyboards on Windows PC starting this month. It's considered the biggest change to the Windows keyboard in more than three decades. Dan, is this big news? No. I remember two <laughs> decades ago when uh, Compaq added an Alta Vista key to their keyboard. Dell added a, an Excite and a Lycos. You know, ser- these were like search engines. That was the thing back then. I mean, come on. This is a bit gimmicky. Is it the top? Could be. <laughs> new year, new exercise goals. Our next guest is making a bold call that Apple could beef up its workout program by acquiring fitness app Peloton. Let's bring in Gene Munster of Deepwater Asset Management. Gene, great to see you. Happy New Year to you. Hello. Um, this is part of your forecast for 2024. You've got a list of various predictions. A couple concern Apple, but this one in particular with Peloton. What's the reasoning here? Because this was sort of ventured, you know, even a couple of years ago. Melissa, the stars are starting to line up, and there's multiple reasons why. <laughs> First is that this just makes sense for Apple's business model. They have six subscription products a day. They account for about $16 billion in total revenue. That's about 4% of Apple's overall revenue, but growing quickly. And this would fit nicely into that. Uh, if they can maintain their $1.7 billion in subscription revenue, that would add about 11% to that subscription business. So that's uh, piece number one. 
And in the past years, it was unclear where that would stabilize. That business is now stable. And so there's a catalyst for Apple to step in. Second is in terms of just the overlying goals. It was almost five years ago today that Tim Cook famously said that Apple's greatest contribution to humanity will be related to health. They've been teasing around uh, Apple Watch. They have a fitness product that basically no one uses, and this is an opportunity. Next is that Peloton does something that no other fitness hardware, software, and service company does, bringing those three things together. That, of course, is something that Apple does well. Uh, they do need to shift over. It's currently run on Android today, so it would have to shift to an iOS-enabled uh, uh, hardware, but that is an easy transition. And last, this is cheap. If Apple pays a 50% premium, to current trading, uh, the current trading, they'll get it to $9. They'd be paying two times subscription revenue. Apple's trading at seven times revenue. If you're trading at seven times revenue and you can buy a business that fits nicely in for two times revenue, you make that acquisition. So I think this is the year. Gene, this is Bonowin here. Thanks for being with us. So you've made the fundamental case as to why this makes a lot of sense. I tend to agree. But given the recent downgrades to Apple, given some of the challenges we've seen with uh, the, the Apple Watch and some of the challenges in China, how do they manage to go after this acquisition and skirt any perception that they may be reaching through M&A to cover up some homegrown issues or organic issues, if you will? So we'll see how the December numbers play out. I think first and foremost, I actually think they're going to be okay, but let's take the approach that they're not as impressive. Uh, they will get accused of doing that. That is uh, something that it's an inevitable. But ultimately, I think that if this does have the benefit that I think they have, by my estimate, 1.3 billion monthly active users. They talk about that 2 billion uh, device users. If they can start to essentially push Peloton into that group, I think that that's going to show revenue growth. And I think investors are going to reward them for that ultimately. Gene, I want to get to your other prediction about Apple, uh, especially in light of the two downgrades of Apple that we've seen this week with, that, with the stock moving lower on each of the downgrades on separate days. Um, your prediction is that Apple's going to include or, or launch some sort of generative AI feature into Siri. When it does that, does it then get the sort of AI respect, so to speak, that other big cap tech companies have gotten in terms of market capitalization being added to it? I, the simple answer is yes, it will get a bump up from that. I think that is part of multiple expansion uh, opportunity for Apple. I think that's going to happen in June. Will it get the full benefit? Probably not. It, it's not going to get the same benefit that NVIDIA and Microsoft have had. But ultimately, I think that uh, it's been pretty clear. Apple's been radio silent on AI. They haven't mentioned it once in any of their conference calls in 2023. Microsoft uh, was, was mentioned on average 23 times on their calls. That's in their prepared remarks. So I think just the mere acknowledgement that AI goes beyond just making their devices better and that they're actually doing a generative um, uh, opportunity or generative integration with Siri, I think that's going to be an expander to the multiple and reassure investors mm -hmm. that they're all bored. One more quick one, Melissa. Tim Cook, as I said, has been quiet on the conference calls. Since they reported the September quarter, he's made a couple public comments that say that he's used the word critical in terms of AI's importance to Apple. So I think we're going to see something in June on this. All right, Gene, thank you.
Gene Munster, Deepwater Asset Management. Will that be enough, though, to allay the concerns about inventory builds, about the iPhone not being innovative, about uh, people holding on to their handset longer because of the macroeconomic environment? If they say, you know what, Siri's got AI, we've got this whole new thing going on, and... I think it will be. I mean, if you think of like, and and Gene didn't get to spatial computing, which I know he's really excited about the Vision Pro and and their opportunities there and really think about services, which a couple of these downgrades had to do with services deceleration, right? right? So there's a whole host of things um, that go on around there. I would expect this June user conference to be all about AI, where it wasn't last year. And just one other point really quickly, because obviously I work out a lot. So this story is near and dear to my heart, the Peloton situation. But I think there could be a bidding war, you know, earlier or sometime last Last year, YouTube TV was one of the first streaming services that popped up on Peloton. I think you could see Google be interested in this company. So I think Gene's onto something here. It is. Uh, it has the early makings of a bearish to bullish reversal buy. Peloton. Oh. I, I kind of like it from that score. It, it is awfully small to think about yeah. Apple looking at something that's two billion dollar market cap. It, it's quite something. It's like but, uh, pocket change. For yeah. Them. I mean. <laughs> Coming up, energy off to a strong start in 2024, but can the sector keep up its momentum? Brian Sullivan mm. from an energy conference in Miami for what's in store for the space. And the big C-suite names he'll be talking with, he's got that list next. Plus, a number of names hitting all-time highs from financials to retail and more. But can the good times last? The Chartmaster's giving us his technical take on the stocks at record levels. We're going to the penny when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. The energy sector starting 2024 in the green, but it's been a rough couple months for the space, underperforming the S&P significantly over the last three months. One deal hoping to turn things around, oil producer APA Corp buying rival Callan Petroleum in an all-stock deal valued at $4.5 billion, including debt. The deal will help bolster APA's operations in the Permian Shale Basin. We're going to get a look, uh, a lot more on the outlook for the sector tonight on a special last call live from the Goldman Sachs Energy and Clean Tech Conference in Miami. Miami, Florida. Guests include the CEOs of Chevron and Royal Caribbean, as well as Goldman's head of oil research. For a sneak peek of what to expect, let's get to Brian Sullivan. Brian, I know you've been hard at work interviewing a lot of CEOs already so far. What are the big themes so far? Well, hey, hey guys, I think the big theme here is that I've been coming to this conference for about a decade off and on, and I cannot remember a time where there was lack of clarity in kind of which way oil and gas prices were going to go. If you know, let me know. We can go over here behind my shoulder and talk to the women and men in the industry that are making these deals happen. And I could probably hear just as many opinions about oil going up 10 or $15 a barrel this year or oil going down 10 or $15 a barrel this year. You could make the bull and the bear case equally. And of course, as you guys know, the way that the commodity goes is the way the stock price is also likely to go. Deals, you just represented APA and Calon. We've got a number of private deals as well. Chevron, who's going to be on tonight, they bought Hess primarily for those Guyana assets as well. So that's a big theme is kind of which way are things going to go this year and very fast money-ish. We're going to be getting some stock picks as well. Goldman Sachs kind of bring the heat, bring up their top picks in oil, gas, and other energy, by the way, not just oil and gas for the year. I will give you a little bit of a preview, but I don't want to give everything away. Chevron is one of their favorite names. Chevron just took a big multi-billion dollar write down, guys. We'll kind of dig into that with the CEO of Chevron as well. Talk about some of these mid-cap players. Also, it's not just oil and gas. We got the CEO of RCL, Royal Caribbean, up 126% over the last year. They're gonna make a sort of a surprise guest appearance here, live, last call, Miami Beach. Because when you think of oil and gas, 
you think of Miami Beach. You're a handsome man, Brian Sullivan. I think of you, by the way, for a myriad of different reasons. But for an industry that was going away, apparently, a few years ago, in a lot of people's eyes, there's an awful lot of M&A going on. And my question to some of these people would be the following. At this point, within $5 or so, does it even matter where the price of crude oil is, given how well run the balance sheets look like, um, how efficient these companies have become? Does the commodity even matter anymore to a large extent? Amazing point as always, Guy. $5, I would probably argue, would be no. $10, probably yeah. $15, absolutely. To your point, you can probably get $5 a barrel in operational efficiencies, as many of these Permian players have, in particular in Texas, where they've been able to get their cost of production down to probably the low 40s. I'll bet you we could find some of these folks here that are in the high 30s as well. So to your point, yeah, the price comes down 5 bucks. Maybe it won't matter that much. Listen, it's been a weird two years, right? Came out of COVID. 2022, energy rocked and ruled everything. Last year, it stunk up the joint. Tonight, from this joint here in Miami, we're going to try to figure out where it's going to go. And like I said, get some stock picks as well. Look forward to it, Brian. Thank you. Good to see you. Brian Sullivan. Thanks. And again, do not miss that special last call live from the Goldman Sachs Energy and Clean Tech Conference in Miami tonight, 7 p.m. Eastern time. Um, Brian asks if you know which direction oil or gas is going in, let him know. What did the charts say? So we know we had this full round trip, June 65. We hit 95. We're back to 65. We bounced to the mid-70s. I'm in the lower oil camp along with lower rates and lower dollar. Mm. What does lower oil mean? means the economy is probably slowing down precipitously. ISM suggests that. It means that China's still a problem. But it doesn't mean these energy companies, doesn't mean the stocks can't go higher. So that's sort of the point I was trying to make. All right. Coming up, a bevy of stocks kicking off the new year at new all-time highs. But should you buy into the action? We'll turn to the charts to find out which names could keep climbing and which are a pair of twos. Next, don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Big names hitting record highs across sectors. J.P. Morgan, Lowe's Corp, McKesson, Lululemon, just some of the high flyers from sportswear to healthcare. But do any of these names have more room to run? Let's turn to the chart master to find out. Carter, what do you see here? So we'll go one at a time. I think some do, some don't. But each uh, here is an important stock, typically $50 billion or larger in market cap, and each is at or near an all-time high. Let's uh, roll one at a time. So the first we have uh, is uh, J.P. Morgan. And J.P. Morgan has moved in a very steep and uninterrupted intermediate advance since the October low right to a former high. And in principle, before you exceed a high, you contend with it. Contending is back in filling or backing away. This one, I'm a seller. Uh, Moving on, we've got Lulu, uh, an important uh, retailer, of course. And Lulu broke out, but guess what's happening? It looks like a false breakout. It's starting to check back. And so I'm a seller of Lulu. Uh, Moving on, we've got to McKesson. This is a medical uh, supply uh, chain operator just north by northeast. Talk about idiosyncratic. Doesn't care about the dollar, doesn't care about Putin, doesn't care about oil. It's an uptrend that persists. I'm a buyer. Uh, We also have Lowe's. Uh, This is a property casualty insurer. And this also, Uptrend's intact, not too steep. Uh, I think one stays with it, uh, buyer here. And then ending with a big, uh, two big names, a Train. Uh, this is the HVAC uh, maker, and we have broken out, but then this is where you get the check back. I'm a seller. 
And then finally, Cintas, also a name that's not well covered, but it is some 60 billion. They make uniforms in all industries, commercial. And uh, here, too, uh, the question is, do you stick with the uptrend or do you fade it? Uh, a little less clear here, but I'm sticking with it. All right. So so Lowe's, McKesson and Cintas are the ones that you like. Right. But J.P. Morgan with. feels a little overdone yeah. uh, of the big ones. Yeah. Well, would you agree with this, this assessment? Uh Particularly Lulu. And I know that we've come on and said it's been overvalued. But listen, if I'm comfortable betting against anything, it's probably the consumer going into 2024. So there you go. J.P. Morgan on Friday of next week. Mm -hmm. Okay, we just traded up the levels we last saw, I think, in the fall of 2021. It is now currently trading north of two times tangible book, probably 170 percent or so of book value, which historically is sort of the you're getting into the expensive sort of range. You know, given the fact that we traded up to these levels, I'm hard-pressed to believe they're going to say something next week that is going to get this run to continue. What say you, Dan? You wanted Carter specifically to look at J.P. Morgan. Why is that? Because, man, oh, man, 135 to 172, um, the, the valuation outperformance, the enthusiasm around the name relative to other names. Even we spent some time talking about Citibank has been upgraded a bunch, but they're just not in the same category. You know, to me, that, that one just seems like I just don't know what can propel it higher if you look at yeah. that multi-year chart. And for those who care about fundamentals, almost 1.8 times book when you've got other banks trading below book. Oh, wow. How do regionals in general uh, act? Because that, that has shown some outperformance. Right. So if you just, we, you know, that October low, which from which everything rallied, the biggest move was home builders up 45. Regional banks are right in there up 42. And it's all just a rate thing. Look at J.P. Morgan. So the question is, can you keep that rate of change going or do you need to back and fill or back away? I think they all should be sort of either sell calls or trim. All right. Uh, up next, final trades. For the final trade, let's go around the horn. Carter Braxton Worth. Gold. You can use GLD and gold miners, GDX. Bono and Eisen. TSM, geopolitical risk notwithstanding, at 16 times is starting to look attractive. Dan Nathan. Uh, yeah, I really like Gene's call on Peloton. It's one that I've kind of thought about a bit. Um, I wouldn't be chasing it here, but look to buy it on pullback. It is up after hours, we should know. Guy. I don't often know what you're going to do after the show, but I know tonight. Because you're an ardent New York Ranger fan as well. And you'll be watching Brennan Othman's debut tonight down just a few blocks south from here. I can't wait. I'm excited about it. Original six matchup, as you pointed out. And the Rangers coming off a terrible loss. I'm going to get my Ranger Stein out. We mentioned a couple months ago that Medtronic was too cheap. It's still too cheap, Mel. MDT. All right. Thanks for watching Fast. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. This podcast is supported by FedEx. 
Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.